have you guys? I think we talked about this like a really long time ago. The the Soul laptop, the solar powered laptop. Well, now we're getting we're getting prices four hundred ninety five Canadian. I don't know what that is in real actual money, but in Canadian money, it's something. Now remember, this is the I, one where the uh, bucks. yeah, where, <laughs> where the where the back folds down and the uh, uh, and the panels come out and then it charges. It runs Ubuntu, uh, and I haven't looked at the specs yet. I was saving for the show, so let me find it right here. See if I can. Oh yeah, specs. Here we go. All right, so it's it comes with Ubuntu fourteen oh four, or you can get it with Windows seven. Uh, it has an Intel Atom 1.8 gigahertz dual core processor, two gigs of RAM, 320 Adam. gigabyte SATA hard drive. Atom. <laughs> yeah, it's got an Atom. Uh, so I don't know, but it's solar powered. That's kind of cool, right? Would you buy one, Eric? If you had the if you had the uh, cash, dude. If I had the cash, I'd be all over that. Just because it's a ruggedized laptop, I wouldn't have to worry about my kid hitting it or anything. Hmm. You know. And, and, and not only okay, that, but okay. then I could take it places, like into the backwoods. You know, take pictures. I'm sorry, and what? Pictures also. Oh, I got gotcha. you. I was no, you know, I was dude, losing you there for a minute. Hey, uh, Colonel Linux, uh, could this be the ultimate traveler's laptop? Never have to look for a charging board at the airport again. Hold on. He says no, no, because you have to. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I, <clears throat> well, here's the thing, right? So, as you far have, as a traveling laptop, I think it would be hard to charge it. It, it would have to be able to actually get to sun to get it to charge. Make sure right? you and get a window airport. seat, man. Get a window seat. Well, it also has yeah. a power cord, so it's not like you're stuck with just solar power. Boring. So <laughs> that's good. All right, mate. What, well, about, how, what about? Okay, okay, Colonel. Having, you're having, no where, where are the technical specifications? Wimpy. It's we... so slow, it's painful. It's got that's, a... that's... Well, I mean, I don't know. 1.8 gigahertz isn't that bad, dual core. That's not... I mean, it's... I, well, I'm, I'm not talking about the technical specifications of the computer rather than the uh, power intake and solar size and oh. what it can generate. Well, that because is a very good frank, frankly, I've seen some really significantly large solar panels through what I do with work, and they generate tiny little sips of amperes that barely power an electric biro. So I'd be amazed if this thing can actually charge and power a laptop for any significant time whatsoever. Yeah, okay, that's a good point. I mean, that could be a major issue is how long it takes to charge. I noticed they're not actually throwing that out on the pages I'm looking No, I can't find... That is the most important specification item for a laptop of this kind and i don't see it readily available hmm hmm boy look at you just dumping cold water on this like no. sorry <laughs> sorry well the thing is is that i've got customers that would really like to use an equi- equipment like this because they operate aircraft for uh, in sort of pseudo military environments so for the united nations and stuff like that and they upload their flight data over satellite phones so they would love a computer like this that they can open in the middle of Africa or Afghanistan where sun is available almost all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, that bit of information isn't on here. Boy, that is an interesting catch. And, of yeah. course, one that, once you think about it, is sort of the critical piece of information. Uh, um, I, th- I thought when we first heard well, about this, it was going to be an ARM machine, too. I, I, I mean, yeah, but, tell, isn't it now? Yeah, According it is. to this, it, it, it's a um, that's fine. Adam that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. That's not great, but it's fine. And the second issue I have with it is you live as far north as I do. Half the year, it's completely useless. <laughs> well, yeah. same around here, right, Chris? 
Oh, I don't know. I'm an optimist, Eric. I like to believe it's sunny. <laughs> <laughs> You're hoping for more sun than we actually get around. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think it's nicer in the Pacific Northwest than everybody thinks it is. Like, I don't know. Uh, I, I I find all these things to be supplemental. What I really want is I'm waiting for the day when they can integrate a solar panel behind the LCD screen of my smartphone, and then when I just have my smartphone down on the table or on my dash, it's secretly like you know trickle charging. It's absorbing the yellow sun like Superman. That's that's what I look forward to. I, 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 okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, you find sorry. And I've heard some some stuff on science shows recently that they've got a completely clear glass that they are planning on putting into new phones and new tablets. I'm ready. Solar charger. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for that. Too. Whether it completely charges it or just keeps it from charging so fast, that would be awesome. Wimpy, did you, did you find the uh, charging info, info? Yeah, and uh, I found the information, so I'll read it back. It says, this really depends. It says, how long does it need to be in the sun to be fully charged? And it says, this really depends on the exposure you're getting. Right. In a fully sunny day, it should take a couple of hours to get fully charged. Duration will change with conditions such as, and this is the, oh, by the way, this is our get out of clause as to why it's never going to work. Position of the sun, clouds, location on the earth, <laughs> and even air pressure and temperature. <laughs> yeah. That's basically, yeah. it doesn't work. It's never going to charge the laptop. That is everything you can imagine. Well, because, well, where time, are you on the planet power? exactly? I'm sorry, you're not exactly on the equator on this specific well, island and then, like, closest if, to the sun. If Therefore, you need that much sun, work. aren't you going to bake the components? Like, aren't you going to cook the laptop? Oh, that's, see, now, now, now you're really digging into this. So now I'm going to go off and find temperature, yeah, temperature operation and temperature conditions. So I just got to wonder. Dig a bit more. I, I guess. See, I, yeah. I know. I guess I, I like the idea of, of 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 this being a feature on almost anything where there's some integrated self charging. You know, like, okay, I'm not saying everything it comes down to Star Trek, but it turns out it seems like everything comes down to Star Trek. And something the Enterprise <laughs> D got really good. If you look at the back area of the Enterprise D between the warp nacelles, that's all solar panels, and it's not their primary source of power, but it's like a solid trickle charge for their power cells and they could just you know they don't depend on it but it's just sort of supplements it's like multiple different ways of getting that power up and i look at the battery technology and i think these batteries are not getting better fast enough you know like they're they're just like i want to i want a phone that lasts two three days that's that would really be perfect for me or at least a solid two days but the battery that's technology cool, doesn't uh, seem to keep up but if they could have trickle charging like through solar and stuff like that to sort of supplement the battery shortcomings be right. right, so Chris, I can solve that problem for you. The All phone right. you need is a Nokia 9660. There you go. That will last you five days in a single charge, no problem. Really? The nine Nokia? Uh, that's the old... Uh, I, in other words, get away from your stupid smartphone. That's what you're saying. Yeah, that's... Go back to, I, well, that's, yeah, go back to my old phone. That was advertised as a smartphone, but yeah. Back in the day? I'm looking oh, it up yeah. right now. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was too fast. What? I'm sorry, what? Uh, sorry, Noah. I meant to say... Oh, oh, okay. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's already preparing its defenses against the concrud. My name is Chris. And my name is Matt. Hey, Matt. I'm taking, like, vitamins. I'm trying to drink water. I'm trying not to get sick when I go on this trip, but I'm already paranoid because I've been sleeping very well. And that's... 
That lowers the defenses right there, Matt. Oh, boy. I'm oh starting boy. on a disadvantage. So if uh, if I get sick, what I'm going to do is I'm going to implement a bubble quarantine. It's going to make Monday's Linux Action Show a little awkward because I'm going to be in a bubble. <laughs> but we'll communicate over the microphones and headphones, so you'll still be able to hear me. However, I am oh. going to need you to slip the bacon through a slot. Is that Absolutely. okay? Okay. I, you know, when it comes to slipping bacon, I can do that. Okay, so. good, good. All right, well, we got a good episode today, episode 63 of the Unplugged Show. We're going to talk to the Linux grandma. I went to a meetup recently of Kubuntu users. You know me, Matt. I'm a Kubuntu guy. Oh, yeah. So I went to a Kubuntu users meetup and uh, met Valerie. She's going to join us today and chat about Kubuntu, KDE, specifically the KDE project. Uh, something neat I learned that uh, the KDE group is doing uh, coming up right now and a few other things that come up. And plus, uh, just a little bit about her blog as well. Plus, we've got a ton of feedback. And then Microsoft apparently, quote unquote, Hearts Linux. We're going to talk about that as well as a bunch of other things coming up later in the show. So big show today. Accidentally did a big show. I don't even know how that happened. Huge show. So uh, let's start with some feedback from Sunday's Linux Action Show. Dave Ah. wrote in, and he wanted to kind of uh, take us to the mat. Matt, get it? Oh, boy. Wasn't that good? Sorry. Uh, I see how that works. He's calling (laughs) us out, though. He's like, hey, guys, great show. I've been a listener for a long time. Mm. You ready for this, Matt? He's a Windows sysadmin. Oh, I know a few of those. That's yeah, okay. They exist, uh, and that's why he likes listening to last, because he likes to get info about all the OSs. But he wasn't so hot on the negativity towards Docker on Windows. He says, I get a feeling from your and Matt's comments in last 335 that you're irritated that Docker would dare roll out their products to Windows. Hey, Windows Server guys want containers too. Why do you Linux guys got to hog all the good stuff? I would love to be able to use containers instead of virtualization to keep applications isolated. Also, you made it sound as if you could run Linux Docker containers on Windows. That's not the case. The containers share the kernel, so Windows Dockers will only run on Windows containers. I think we actually did make that point pretty clear. Uh, so, you know you know what it was, Matt, is we get these terms in the industry that just drive me crazy. And I, I think Docker is turning into a buzz term almost. Because when you start taking out the Linux component of Docker, it doesn't seem like Docker anymore. Now it just seems like you're taking the concept of containerization and you're just calling it Docker. And I, Pretty I, much. I mean, it becomes a branding thing at some yes, point. That's what I was like rolling it. my eyes at. Right. I, uh, in a way, uh, it also shows like what a player Linux is right now in the market because not the first OS to do this, right? Uh, I think uh, those BSD guys would have you uh, check out something called Jails, and I think they're pretty proud of it. In fact, I think they think it's still a lot better. So Docker comes along, and it kind of does stuff that other things can already do, except for it has this great Docker hub where you can pull down images and it goes from that to now it's this it's like the concept of containerization is just it's like when we started calling DVRs TiVos and it's like no that's not a TiVo that is your cable company's DVR or that is a play TV you know it just exactly. that's what i was rolling my eyes at well and going from my perspective what kind of irritated me about the whole thing is that i have no problem with microsoft getting on board with this what i have a problem with is the fact that as per usual they waited till the very last minute to where they didn't have to innovate anything then they kind of slop they kind of belly flopped onto the platform <laughs> out of the pool limped along a little bit and said oh hey look at this grand driller thing that we're coming up with it's so awesome and we're so innovative they, they just the entire experience that they're presenting had a very it just felt like that they were doing something unique and different it's like but that's not the case you're a Two product. I'm sorry. Y'all right. Are, and know. like like Linus uh, Tech points out in the chat room, I mean, they're depending on LXC. Docker's built on that. And Wimpy, yeah. you wanted to remind us of a little history, right? Well, yeah. I mean, OpenVZ has been around for a long, long time now. And that was sort of the original Linux container platform. And 
I've been using that successfully at work and I was a late adopter for about five years now. So yeah, Docker is great. I've, I've had a go with it and I can see the advantages and how it extends on what OpenVZ offers. But um, containers, jails, ch roots, it's not new. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've, I've got Proxmox here in the studio, right? And I've been using LXE on that. But I think what my, I think what my point is, is uh, a lot of times we as the technical crowd we see that the the groundwork was already there and we fail to recognize the innovation in making it all work really simple in a way that a lot larger of an audience can grok. And what what is different about Docker is it broke into that gray area that's called DevOps where you've got developers who maybe didn't fully understand containers and namespaces and virtualization and, and Zen and KVM and LXC they get GitHub, right? And they get that Docker has this GitHub-like functionality, and I can pull down this container, and now it's just working. And it, from end to end, it is presented in a product-like fashion that you can completely wrap your brain around. You understand what it is from a concept, and so it's easy to talk about, it's easy to understand, and then you understand that it has this GitHub-like functionality for images, it clicks. And I think we as as uh, more technical users sometimes fail to fully appreciate, sometimes just bringing it a little bit more polished, bringing it to that edge can really make the difference. Uh, Obviously, look at that's what Apple really makes their money on, right? What's the number one comment you always see after a new iPhone or iPad is launched? XYZ Android device had it first. Apple Pay is a great example of that, right? There's My Nexus 5 device is ancient now in, in the smartphone land, sort of. It's had wireless payments this entire time. I've never used it once, right? The, the difference is that final 10% gap, closing that seems to be where you can make the difference, and that's what Docker did because there's other operating systems that have it as well. So uh, good for Windows. Uh, I, I don't think Windows is a fantastic platform for servers to begin with, but that's probably yeah. not too much of a surprise to anybody. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much, that's kind of where I'm at with it. It's like, hey, they want to go have a go with it. That's great. But, you know, lose the, oh my gosh, we're so, they're trying to be like Apple in this regard. It feels like they're just, it's like they, it almost feels like they're saying they innovated this whole thing. And it's like, but you didn't really have any, no, you didn't. I mean, not really. All right. I wanted to open uh, the floor uh, to uh, feedback on the uh, Ubuntu 1410 review that we had in Sunday's Linux Action Show. We got several different emails and comments about it, mm. but there wasn't any one particular, uh, uh, a theme that jumped out. So just as, or as, a, as an open uh, door to the mumble room, did anybody have any feedback, follow-up, corrections, or arguments they wanted to make from our review of Ubuntu 14.10 on Sunday show? Now's your chance. For, hold your, or forever hold your... Going once, going twice. <laughs> Sold. Like the, the style of it. The, the looking at the different flavors, you think that worked out? Because that was kind of something new we were trying. You think that worked out okay? Yeah, f- at least for me, um, it it feels like a deeper look into the different yeah the different flavors because I never liked the f- first Ubuntu I tried, but I really love both Kubuntu and Ubuntu. But there was little mm, little less information from reviews and all that on those flavors. Right. So maybe now somebody looking for more about Ubuntu will see that and learn about those. Other flavors, and obviously uh, Matei played a big role in our review. So, uh, Wimpy, I, you, you want to give a chance to follow up on some of that? Well, first of all, thank you ever so much for covering Ubuntu Mate in your roundup 
not least because Ubuntu Mate is not an official flavor yet, but also because it's really good to get um, good feedback. So there was a few things that you mentioned in your review, which if you dig into the Ubuntu Mate website a little bit, this is one of the links that isn't in the top, in the top there. On the roadmap, I've got a few things outlined that you touched upon. So would you like me to expand oh, sure. on that a little yeah, bit? Yeah. I, yeah. Okay. So there was there was a few things. Um, obviously, you'd gone all uh, compies addict mode there, and you'd uh, you'd turned on wobbly windows. Who and all that me? Good stuff. Never. Yeah. Never. No, I, uh, I would never do something <laughs> like that. I, I don't so know what you're talking about. Way 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 back in Alpha <laughs> One, there was actually an Ubuntu Mate dash compies meta package. Uh, which was put together based on the feedback of one of the guys from the Ubuntu Mate community. But I quickly worked out that this was going to require a bit more work than I had time to put in, so I put that on the back burner. But what we're going to do is Compiz is never going to be a, a default uh, option uh, for Ubuntu Mate, but it will be a meta package. So um, a Compiz is still hugely popular in the Mate community. Mm. So I'm going to make a meta package available so that you can install Compiz via a single package you get a same set of defaults ah. and you get that traditional um compiz experience for those people that love it now you know and, next then you're gonna people are gonna ask for barrel support so that way they can get their crazy window decorations <laughs> yeah yeah i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna go that <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I love i love wobbly win- windows i draw the line at 3d cubes but there is actually a practical application to all of this, and that's with um, talking to Jonathan Nado from the Accessible Computing Foundation. In his opinion, the um, best uh, desktop Zoom application for uh, individuals with uh, low vision is the Enhanced Zoom plugin from Compiz. Oh, so yes. for, for, all the, for all the fun and games, oh, there is actually a practical application for, for making Compiz easily available. You know, I used to use, I've, I totally even forgot about that. I used to use that during shows to demonstrate something on a specific area of the screen. I would just zoom into it. Yeah, yeah. It's a I really forgot useful, all about that. Super really M. useful. Yeah, yeah. So for all, for all the wobbly Windows fun, there is actually practical application. Um, and a couple of other things you touched on was launches and docs. Um, if I actually sent you a screenshot of how I run Ubuntu Mate, um, I think it would make a lot of Ubuntu Mate or Mate users shriek because it's unconventional. I have a doc at the bottom. So I have a single panel at the top with your applications, places, and system. Yeah. And a few mm-hmm. few uh, applets to tell me when the disks are rattling and all of that sort of stuff. And then your system tray. A doc at the bottom. Uh, and I use Plank for that. Yeah. And then yeah. I have an oversized auto-hiding panel on the left of the screen with a huge workspace switcher on it, which is remarkably like what you find on the right-hand side of the screen in GNOME 3 with their workspace switcher. Um, so that's how I how I drive my system. So I'm obviously looking at a way to integrate uh, docs. <laughs> What? What's so funny? So, oh, Valerie just showed me something. I forgot to meet the mic. No big deal. Oh boy. <laughs> well, I like that setup. That's that's there. Those KD users don't listen to them. It's a, that's a, I thought I, I know. I felt I was being um. I was, My I was being fans are at, waiting. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. I'll move on. I'll move on very quickly then. Um. So again, uh, docs won't be a uh, well. They may be a default setting. I'll ask the Ubuntu Mate community if they want that as a default setting. But one of the things I'm planning on working on is um, that the working title is Shapeshifter. 
Oh. So you can uh, choose a, uh, a, a workspace setup. So not just the panel arangements, but also things like docks launches and and the general appearance. So you, you know, can, one of the other things we've been seeing a lot is people want to see that, like the whisker menu or something like that, that they can use. Yeah, and that's and that's something else I'm looking at is some of the launches. So uh, I use Synapse, for example, mm-hmm. which gives me all of that stuff that you were looking for. Dead so you can hot, yeah, you can hotkey type T E R M and hit yeah. return, and yeah. there's your terminal. Yeah. yeah, I was actually um, suggesting that in the chat room, yeah. but you weren't and, looking. So. No, no, I no guys. I mean, I I've. We've talked about Synapse multiple times on the show. Obviously, I know about it, and I also yeah. Gnome Do. Although when I installed Gnome Do, it locked my my Mate yeah. session up. But yeah. uh, Chris can't no, shut me up Gnome, about Gnome Synapse. So. <laughs> yeah, I, we know about it. Yeah. The thing is, is I just I, wanted to find a project that was still active, and I just haven't found yeah, one. Yeah, that's the real. Yeah. So, so Synapse has got a PPA. It's recently been restarted, so that's under oh. active development. Oh, really? Oh, well, active development crap. again. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, Docky and Plank have merged, so if you look at the latest Docky and Plank, they're effectively identical. Awesome. And oh, interesting. Uh, in addition to um, Synapse, there's Sling Scold, which is another launcher which looks very interesting, and another one I think is called the Duck Launcher, uh, and, th- and there's w- one other that yeah. I found. So Duck. what we'll be doing is, is, is looking at these, uh, having a conversation with the community, finding out which ones they like the most, building some meta packages and some default configuration and then providing a utility when you install Ubuntu Mate for the first time, you can have a, this is a visual representation of the different ways the desktop can be arranged and the tools that that are on offer and you can say snap and go. And in some little way, that's available now. So if you deeply, deeply want a Windows XP classic look, there's a Redmond panel layout, and if you go to the Ubuntu Mate website, you'll find in the release notes the instructions on how to enable the Redmond layout, and that's the first baby steps towards the sort of shape-shifting, create your desktop with a single click the way you want it to be. Oh, I cannot wait to see that. Well, uh, I'm still running it here. In fact, I was just thinking today as I set up, I really appreciated how snappy it was. And I, I feel like even, I don't know, I feel like even my web browsers start faster. And I don't know why the desktop would make the difference. I Obviously, granted, it probably uses less resources, but it's not like I'm yeah. starved for resources. So, we Yeah, it's, and it's not about saving resources. It's about preserving resources for the things that matter. Mm. So by having less resources allocated to your desktop, You've got more resources available to your Steam client or your web browser, for example. Good point. Good point. Less fluff, less fluff. Well, uh, great work on uh, the Mate edition. And well, thank you. And it was it yeah. was good for the Mate desktop team to see as well because this is an opportunity for, that, for, that, for them to see their work showcased as well. Sure. Well, I, I, uh, awesome. I uh, look forward to keep checking out. Boy, some sounds like some of those improvements are going to be really really incredible all right so i think valerie's been waiting long enough before we get to that i'll thank our first sponsor this week and that's linux academy here's where you need to go right now stop what you're doing oh my gosh what are you doing you got to go there right now linuxacademy.com slash linux or slash unplugged i think both of those work but i like linux boom why not right linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to get you the discount i know that lock that in go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to make sure you get the awesome discount you can get up to a 33 percent off and the great thing about that subscription is you just constantly get all of the new content you get access to everything pick and choose what you want to start with so have you heard about linux academy 
You should go check them out right now, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. You can get step-by-step video courses. They'll walk you through all kinds of things. One of the things I like about Linux Academy, too, is I've used it to just sort of test the waters and see what topics interest me. But you could absolutely, surely use it to just sort of increase your skill level in whatever your industry is in. Or maybe get yourself up to that next level if you've been just thrusted into a project and you've got to move from like a Red Hat box to a Debian box and things like that. Because one of the great things about Linux Academy is whatever courseware you're taking, you're going to be able to choose from 7 plus Linux distributions and then they structure all the courseware off the distribution you pick that's a great opportunity if you're moving between distributions or you need to refresh or you want to figure out maybe the way the other side does things and i'm showing you some of the courses you can take now if you take some of their linux training it's awesome all kinds of things you can take all kinds of courses over there and one of the best parts is is they have these learning plans now they will automatically customize the amount of training time you have just based on the availability you select. And it can send you reminders about courses, and it gives you an idea and a snapshot. Okay, it's going to take you this long to get through this course when you log in. And by the way, you can download these study guides. Some of them are in audio and video, and listen to them on the go. Seth, Scooky Sprite, sometimes joins us during uh, Linux Unplugged or Tech Talk, listens in the shower. Most people listen in the car, but Seth listens in the shower. And you know, I realized I do some of my best thinking in the shower, so maybe I would do some of my best learning in the shower. Like that could actually be total genius. I don't know. How cool how cool would it be to have like some sort of a shower proof whiteboard that as you're coming up with these ideas, well, you can quickly jot it down. It's funny you say that. He actually mailed me, I'm not even kidding, a waterproof what? notebook. All of the pages no. in the notebook are waterproof. And he he hangs it I'm not even kidding, this is not made up. He hangs these in his shower and with the right pens and he takes notes in there and he sent me a set. Like, this is what he does. This is his system, and it works for him. Wow. This is what's awesome about Linux Academy is you can literally customize it to whatever your scenario is. You know, if I've, I've gotten emails from people recently who said, you know, Chris, I'm going to be a dad soon. I'm a little worried about keeping my skill level up. Linux Academy can customize to your availability. Or, you know, you're like Seth. You're only free times when you're in the shower. He still makes it work and finds value out of it. They're constantly adding new things. And they have scenario-based training, so you'll actually implement something. So say you take an AWS course. You'll implement the S3 back-end storage, the EC2 front-end box, the load balancing, the DNS management. You'll do all of that. And as each part in that lab, in that scenario-based training, not only will you be implementing the actual stuff, the actual application, so you'll have hands-on experience, but they will spin up the service for you as you need them on demand. Just part of their service. It's really cool. linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Time to go do some more training. It's always time to learn a little bit more, and it's never been a better time. linuxacademy.com slash Unplugged. All right, well, I would like to welcome uh, Valerie to the show. She is hanging out with Eric. Uh, They might sound like they're at the bottom of a pool, but they promise me they're not swimming right now. (laughs) But you never know with those two. uh, We're definitely not swimming. Swimming. You're just lounging in in, in Sitting at a table. Oh, okay. That's yeah. Sure. How would we know? <laughs> it's an audio-only show. How would we know? Well, Valerie, welcome <laughs> to Linux Unplugged. And I, I feel bad. Like, I shouldn't call you the Linux grandma, but uh, that's what you go Why by, is isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. But that is what you go by. I, I go by. You embrace I it, and I think Valerie. I love that. Yes. Uh, in but fact, uh, Valerie... I have a grandchild, and I love him. <laughs> you, uh, you break a lot of stereotypes. When we got... We, uh, we met Valerie at a Kubuntu users meetup, and when we got there... Valerie showed up with the thumb drives preloaded with Plasma 5.1, so that way we could all get installing if we didn't have it yet. That's how, that's how cool Valerie is. And so uh, I wanted to kind of start with your involvement in the KDE project, and I don't know if you wanted to jump right into it, but you told me about something that I didn't know KDE does. It's kind of reminded me of the Google Summer of Code. So you can start wherever you want. What you do with the KDE project would probably be a great place, but I'd like to get there. So tell us what you do for oh. KDE. 
Well, <clears throat> Google Summer of Code, uh, I'm one of the administrators. You're actually largest or one of the largest um, users and contributors, I guess you'd say, because uh, I don't know if your listeners know about Google Summer of Code. Oh, sure. Yeah, Google yeah. puts up. Okay, so Google puts up the money and then the free projects actually do the mentoring for the students. And um, so the students work for a summer and get paid for it. Um, and we possibly get new members of the community. Right, and, like uh, KDE um, Connect was started as a Google Summer of Code project, right? Exactly. Yeah. And all kinds of cool stuff. Um, and uh, there are two other, actually two other mentoring uh, projects that we do. One is called Season of KDE, which has no money. And we're just actually, we're kicking it off late this year. It's just kicking off now. It'll go through um, the end of January. Uh, participants get a t-shirt and a certificate and it's open to students. It's really open to anybody who finds a mentor and wants to do it. And then Google Code-In is relatively new. I think Google's only been running it for four or five years. That is for junior high and high school students. It is awesome. And our mentors come up with small tasks that students can do in a day. And uh, the top prize, which I think about 10 kids win, is a trip to Mountain View for two or three days. Oh, what a treat. Your parents. Oh. Yeah. And you can see that it's really awesome for Google because they get a first look at all of these uber smart, uber driven kids. Of course, it's wonderful for the projects. When I got involved, I had just started um, writing uh, user documentation for Amarok and I set up a page for <clears throat> every uh, little sub uh, subject, mm -hmm. and then the students did wrote wrote the page, did the the uh, media wiki coding, and did the screenshots. And all I had to do was clean clean up after them. It was wonderful. And then years later, up at uh, Linux Fest Northwest, I met my prize student mm -hmm. who was working for uh, OwnCloud by then. Wow. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's just Dude. a win in every way that you can think of. Although the mentors work really hard and it's right during it's in the winter. So it are starts, you, are uh, you serving person. as the, as the interface, like the go between, between the Google reps and the KDE project? Like, are you helping coordinate some of that people that are getting involved I mean, in the summer? Of I'm one of the, I'm one of the administrators. Okay. Yes. So we get all the infrastructure set up. We make sure that mentors are around to talk to their students um, how how yeah, critical to the project? How critical to the KDE project would you say the Google Summer of Code involvement has been? I think that especially in India, it has helped us a lot because it has spread the word. Because it's Google spreading the word and not just us spreading the word. Oh. And we have had we've had two KDE conferences in India that the students themselves started with like hundreds of students each and said so the EV paid for, you know, uh, KDE people to fly over there and do the talks and stuff. It was really cool. 
but we've got, we have some American students, not as many as I would like, but also um, lots of European students. So yeah, it's pretty cool. One place we're lacking is Africa. I think the word mm. is just not spreading. And I also think that there's not good enough um, connectivity for African students to get involved. Well, so let's talk a little bit about uh, organizing a community and getting involved. Uh, so we did this meetup. It was fun. It was, what, like eight or nine of us, eight of us or something like mm-hmm. that? Not very big. Yep. You know, I'm about to get on a plane and fly to Ohio Linux Fest, which I suspect will probably be one of the larger Linux events of the year. And it's mm-hmm. such a huge, like, one-to-one difference. It couldn't be two, two, two more opposite sides of the spectrum. However, right. I kind of think... There's probably uh, – we should be doing more of these small group meetups. I feel like this is uh, – it's it was interesting because we we had uh, we had a gentleman there from the visual design group at KDE. Uh, we had uh, the developer of KDE Connect there. We had yourself there, and we had folks that are involved with uh, de- you know deploying KDE on uh, recycled machines and all, all, a whole range of, of different areas. And it was just a nice one to one conversation. Everybody had a chance to chat. We didn't even we were yep. we were we were having so much fun talking with each other. We didn't eat the cake. We forgot to eat the cake. Like we forgot to eat cake. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that when does that ever happen? And it was a good cake. It yeah. was a good cake. Yeah, too. we did I finally like at the end. Bite. Yeah, we had to have a little at the end. I mean, come on. <laughs> can't waste it. Uh, so, uh, what what would you impart on pun? Is it is it just? Do you think part of the issue is is that we as geeks are just too antisocial, so we won't just take the next step and organize the meetups? What is holding us back with tools like Meetup and and on all these ways to organize? Why aren't we seeing more of these local events? Do you think? Well, I think uh, in this case, Andrew, I didn't even know him. I had never met him before. I'd never talked to him before. Uh, I talked. I, um, I, I was talking to the KDE Connect guy and he's like, I just moved to Seattle. Let's get together. And I said, okay, well, let's have a release party. So he's like, oh, there's this meetup thing. I'm like, what? <laughs> that, you know, a couple of days before somebody had set that up. So I think that it's just people taking the initiative. Yeah. I, 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 Years I, ago, my first computer was an Coleco Atom <laughs> and I didn't know how to oh, use nice. it. So I started, I started an Atom users group. And we met for about five years. We became such good friends. I mean, we were meeting when none of us were even using the Coleco in it anymore because, you know, 80K doesn't go very far. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it Bill Gates said 640K is all you'd ever need? Exactly. Well, we had 80 meg. Yeah. That's nice. Because we had 16K of VRAM. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It is ridiculous now. Anyway. It has gotten yeah, so far so- beyond that. You know, I don't know how many people started a user group because they didn't know what they were doing, but that's what I did. I was like, how else am I going to find out? Let's find some experts here. I know that there are some. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I guess and the internet kind of slowed that down for a ourselves. bit. Though. The internet came along. We got Hangouts. We got Mumble. And we all just kind of stopped going and meeting up and play in, in person. Uh, you know, you used to have to go to the computer store to get even your to get a boxed copy of your distro. I, I try to figure out what it is because I'm just as guilty of it, but I want to try to get out and, and, and see people more because it, it's neat to actually meet and discuss stuff. And, and That is true because remember the computer user newspaper? Yeah. Oh, I used yeah. to wait for that every right. month. Yeah. And that's how we got users actually was advertising in there. So right. Yeah. Free advertising, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think part of it is time. Everybody seems so busy. Mm-hmm. Also, a lot of people who started as teenagers are now getting married and having children. Right. Mm-hmm. And that sort of more going on. puts a cramp in your style. Yep, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Guilty. So, you know, here I am. Now I'm 
I'm um, retired and I have time. That's really why I got involved in open source. I had been using Linux for over 10 years and I thought, I have time now. I should give back. That was my next question for you because, uh, you know, we just got through a couple of weeks of pretty uh, tumultuous community drama. And, uh, you know, sometimes some of the KDE uh, community members are involved in some of the drama. I don't think they were this last round, but it can happen from time to time. And I, I, I wondered, like, uh, so when you get to the point where you're ready to retire and uh, kind of just uh, indulge a passion, you, got, you go pretty far into the community. You're in all the IRC rooms. Uh, IRC rooms. How do you deal with the drama? Does it bother you? What's your approach to that? <laughs> in KDE, I'm on the community working group, and that that. Uh, is a group that the EV got together to actually deal with um, conflict in the community. Um, I am not scared of conflict. I think that when people are fighting about things, that means they're passionate. There's energy there. So what's usually happening, though, is that people are talking past each other rather than thinking together. And if there's a lot of energy around a subject, there's obviously a problem. Therefore, we need to think together. So rather than clashing... We should be listening to one another and thinking together and trying to work our way through whatever the problem is. Yeah. And I think and, sometimes uh, what would help is if we stop talking to each other through our blogs and talk to each other yeah, through maybe yeah. chat or mumble or the phone well, or, face or Google+. Face. Plus. Yeah, face-to-face. Face-to-face to, face. to me, there is – back to what you were saying, the small groups, there is absolutely – nothing better than sitting and talking to somebody. Right. You know, it's funny too, like, for example, in in a face-to-face meeting, uh, you could have a bunch of Linux users, and if one of those Linux users pulls out an iPhone, nobody would say anything. But on the internet, if 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 you're having a group chat and somebody somehow figured out you had an iPhone and they pulled it out, all of the Linux users would jump on that person and say, oh, you have an an iPhone? What are you doing? Like, over the internet, we're just... We're just a little bit more sometimes of jerks to each other. Like, we just don't quite care as much. But in person... You know, we're we're nicer. We're more understanding. We listen a little bit better. Uh, and it, maybe, yeah. May, you I, don't think so? <laughs> part of the reason, no. Well, part of the reason that I'm in KDE. I mean, KDE runs on Windows, and it runs on Mac. So we actually have, as part of our community, people who work. Oh, sure. On yeah, making yeah. sure everything works on Windows and works on Mac. And it, it's true. Every once in a while, they get disparaged. No, and, and I shouldn't leave that. I shouldn't leave out BSD either. But I was just uh, making kind of a, like a dramatic comparison because really, yeah, it, yes, it's it's I just showing that. we're more critical yeah. over the internet than we are in person is really what happens, and it's just. I think that's why even well, these small meetups are really good because it can happen in small little doses too. It doesn't have to be these huge events. I, I think it's uh, it's happening in our culture at large. If you look at our politics, same oh, thing, yeah, and it, it's starting to happen not just in the U.S. but around the world that we're getting these polarized groups and so we need to figure out how to you know and some people say that that's because people used to have more time and used to pull together mm-hmm. and maybe maybe there's something to that i don't know well and honestly what you're taught what you're saying is something that i am actually trained in is i have, have a degree in leadership and everything that you're touching on is exactly what i was trained on in in terms of um chris you're mentioning these small groups but also you're mentioning um getting together face-to-face, you know, talking on the phone over it as opposed to over each other's blogs. That speaks to everything that I was trained. Voice communication and personal communication is so much more important than, say, oh, uh, just fighting over blogs. That's just ridiculous to me. 
well, fighting over fighting is generally not very constructive anyway. But it does show you that there's there's a point around which there is a problem and there's energy. That means it can be solved. Mm -hmm. And seriously, I have a lot of hope both in the political sphere and and you know, look at all the energy that there is in free software. We can we can get past these things and we can solve the problems. Mm -hmm. I, I really do. I like that. That's optimistic like that. too. I like that. Uh, all right. Well, Valerie, I'm going to move uh, you and Eric up into the uh, into the main group here, and we'll just uh, move on with the show. And Valerie and Eric stick around, and we'll we'll chew through a few more topics, and uh, I'll open up the uh, mumble room to any questions for Valerie as well. And we have a couple of uh, uh, emails that I want to help some folks uh, with some some switching to Linux problems. So everybody, stick around. Don't go anywhere. We got a lot more show up first. I want to thank our next sponsor, and that's Ting. Ting is mobile that makes sense. My mobile service provider, and Matt's mobile service oh, yes. provider. Man, I tell you, it's never been a better time to be a Ting customer. The Nexus 6 is going to be coming soon to the Ting network, Ooh. and you can switch right now and start saving. Start saving right now by switching to Ting because you'll only pay for what you use. There's no contract. It's a flat $6 for the line and then just your usage on top of that. Ting just takes your messages, your minutes, your megabytes, whatever your usage is, that's what you pay. So I've got three lines right now. It's $6 a line. I was just last night looking around at another cellular carry to see what they charge when you add another phone, and it is 40 freaking dollars a month just for another line. Unbelievable. And then, then they make you sign a two-year contract on top of that. No, none of that anymore. Stop it. You know that's not the way it should be. That's not where you're going to get value from your mobile provider. Go with Ting. Go to linux.ting.com, linux.ting.com. Not only is that like a little quick way of saying, yo, Thanks for supporting Linux Unplugged. But it'll also get you a $25 credit towards your first Ting device. Take $25 off your first Ting device. Then you've got a Ting service. You're only paying for your usage. There's no contract, no early termination fee, and you've got a real person who will answer the phone if you call them. Try it right now, 1-855-TING-FTW. Anytime between 8 a.m. or 8 p.m., business hours. Then they got a real person there, and that real person solves your problem because they're geeks. And I mean that in a loving way. You guys know that over at Ting. They're geeks. Like, we're geeks, and they can solve your problem. That's why when you, when you want to call somebody, you want somebody that's really into the phones that they're talking about. That's what's so, I like their approach about that. And their dashboard, they just gave it a brand new upgrade, and it's better than ever. They have such a great Ting dashboard that gives you a full oversight of where you're at. So go to linux.ting.com. And I was doing some digging around using big data. You know, Matt, how, I, uh, you know how, Matt I'm a big data analyst. Did you know big that? Big data. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's no. like your side gig. Yeah, your big data, gig. Matt. Big data. Mm -hmm. So I was looking at the big data over uh, what uh, s turns out Linux Unplugged audience is sneaky. They've been picking up the Moto G. I don't know where. I'm, they probably find themselves a CDMA Sprint compatible Moto G. And they've been bringing it over to the Ting network. Uh, and and, ah. and they on their own, Matt, they went to linux.ting.com. They got a $25 ah. service credit. They found the Ting user forum where there's Moto G users in there talking about how to get it to work. I'm not exaggerating oh. when I say the Moto G is one of the most popular phones among Linux Unplugged audience members, and it's not even a phone Ting sells directly. This is what's super what? cool about Ting is they have a, a support network in their forums where you'll find people that are trying out things like Firefox OS, Sailfish OS on different phones, and Ting doesn't go in there and go, shut up, stop talking. They don't stamp it down. In fact, sometimes you see some of the employees and they're giving them a few tips. It's awesome. And it just gives you a little insight into Ting's culture. So go to linux.ting.com to get started. No more contract, my friends. No more. Get out of that contract. They also got an early termination relief program. If you is in a contract, they'll pay up to $75 per line. You got to get canceled. 
Go to linux.ting.com. And a big, big thank you to Ting for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Okay, so let's see if we can help, and then we'll get into one of our uh, topics. Uh, So I want everybody to get your heads together. Jose writes in. He says, Hola, Chris, and everyone in the JBU community. I'm writing to say if there's a way you guys can help me out. Before I go on, sorry if I get any of the technical terms wrong. I'm a forensic psychologist, and I've started to learn more about computers and tech stuff. So naturally, because he's gone down the right path, he's wound up at Linux. So here's his problem. I want to switch to a Linux distro full-time. Currently, I'm a Mac and Windows 7 user. This guy, I love him already. Mac and Windows 7 user. This is our bread and butter right here. However, I've been playing around with Mint Debian, Arch, and Ubuntu on VirtualBox. So far, I love it. There's just one huge issue that's keeping me from doing the change. I think it's my HP laptop's hardware. Every time that I try to boot from an ISO, the kernel starts up, I see it do its thing, and after the screen goes black, it never comes back. I've tried Arch, Mint, Ubuntu, Manjaro, Fedora, you name it. The only two that I've managed to boot up and install is Mint using compatibility mode and Manjaro with with the hardware detection tool. The problem is, after installing, it happens again. It starts to boot up, I see some kernel stuff, and then black. I got an an HP pavilion with an AMD Radeon HD. He doesn't say specifically which. 8 gigs of RAM. He's got a SATA 640 gig, blah, blah, blah. What can I do? Is this a stupid mistake? Can you help me? He just wants to switch. And I don't, I don't, I don't have an HP. Anybody in the mumble room have an HP Pavilion laptop that has experienced any problems with booting up and getting their display showing? I know it's not super uncommon, but it's not a problem I've had for a while. I haven't had that exact problem in an in an hp book but i've had that problem numerous times on other laptops and the way i've always fixed it is booting with the no mode set yeah, yeah okay yeah, that's good, good, good idea uh, that's really what we're kind of discussing Bell and i were kind of discussing here that almost sounds like he's having a uefi secure boot problem he just needs to disable secure boot or something well we said it's windows 7 right well windows mm. 7 well he's a windows 7 user but the yeah. system May not have come with Windows Seven for all we know. So the thing right, is, but, I mean, be- I've tried. No, I have a HP laptop. It's a pavilion that has that issue every once in a while, and I've actually had a couple computers that have a problem where HP has this weird um, flaw in some laptops where it's the the display is actually working perfectly fine, but the brightness level is completely off. Yeah, so yeah. you have to add, you have to manually add the brightness higher. Uh, but mm. you can actually do a, a script that will also automate it. So uh, Dog Z in the IRC but, says he has an HP Pavilion laptop. No mode does work. No mode set to get his Gen yeah, 2. Yes. Yeah, that's a, so you add yeah, that. That's what I was saying. So here's what here's the problem is is I think Jose kind of got that when he did like compatibility mode. It probably yeah. like the you know the option in Grub probably just appends no mode set. But the issue that he's then running into, well maybe not. But like he got that far. But the problem is is. He maybe could append it to the to the live CD, but then he has to remember to also once the system's installed, he's going to have to hit E at the grub menu there, and append it to his installed boot menu too until he gets his graphics situation worked out. And then maybe if he gets at a least, new graphical environment, installs the proprietary driver. I don't know. At least no, with I've, the Ubuntu and Fedora, if you when you boot when you're going through the installer, if you if you append no mode setter, if in Ubuntu, I think you can actually hit F6 and sh- there's a there's a thing for options and you can choose it. It will automatically add it to your Grub config yeah. so it's persistent. Can you do that in Ubuntu? Yeah, you can. 
I believe so. That Absolutely. sounds right to me. Yep. 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 You hit, I think it's F6, and it, it, whatever it says modes at the bottom, and then you can just check uh, uh, no uh So you're saying no Ubuntu, set. if you hit F6 and you add that, and then you boot up the installer, the installer will then add, append that to the final installed version of Grub? Yes. Okay. But don't quote me on the F6. Quote me on whatever it, at the bottom. Look from yeah, it, right, like yeah, when yeah, it boots yeah. up, you see English. Hit English, and then it will give you an option: install or boot to live environment. At the very bottom, there's F keys, and whatever one yeah. says mode, you click on that. I think Sweet. it's F6. Sweet. It should be F6. The last time I installed, yeah. it was F6. The other thing you can do is just add it to the kernel parameters in Etsy default grub. Right. Yeah. If he's already got it installed, you could do that. Uh, boot to a yeah. listing. Uh, but okay, so uh, what though, once he's up and going, what do we think a proprietary graphics driver would solve the problem long term? So once uh, once X starts, he'd at least get a desktop again because it's never coming back. And if he puts it in no mode set, won't that be like low resolution once X starts up? No. With an AMD card, I would go. I would go proprietary, just because you're already dealing with the problem set up. As far as I'm concerned, I, AMD cards, especially on laptops, are just a nightmare. Okay. I, w- I would go proprietary based on the experience I've had with AMD cards on laptops, yeah. and I've banged my head on this for so many years. I would if it was me. I don't. I, I, yeah, it I guess play with the, it. So how old the card is. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, Radeon fair. HD. that's fair. Yeah, that that that's is true. the that is the thing, that's right? If it's an older actually, Radeon. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and Rikai has a great suggestion in the chat room as well. It might just be an issue of function F three to manually up the brightness. Oh well, yeah, it's a it bug can be. that's it can be. Maybe yeah. But on my my like triple E, my issue is triple E. I actually have to go in and code in. Uh, there's an actual a grub uh, information you have to add in to actually get it to any of your uh, function keys to work at all. I I'm mean, including your brightness. I'm so. wondering if I have oh, yeah. I have a I have an HP Pavilion. Uh, I can't remember. It's like a 17-inch laptop with a Radeon 5800-something in there. I can't remember if I have this problem. So I, if I, I might power it up tonight, and so it would be no mode set. I'll add that to the boot options and, and see if, if I do well, have that problem. Play and now it. here's a foolproof way to know for sure if it's, an, if it's a brightness issue or if you're truly getting a no-display server. You take a flashlight. And I'm dead serious about this. Go into a dark yep. room, and with it booted up, shine on there. You'll see. Whether or not if it's yep. on or not, you'll, you'll, yeah. yeah see. A couple people think yeah. it's a brightness yeah, because issue. the pixels are there. The backlight just doesn't shine bright enough. Right. Well, yep. like for I, instance, I my actually... machine, my machine actually the backlight inverts. So, like when it boots up, it sets the backlight to a hundred. Well, guess oh, what? Yeah. If yeah. it's inverted, it goes oh, to wow. nothing. Oh my god! So I actually yeah. have to have a a command line. You know. To that's invert the thing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know how you guys deal with this crap. Seriously, yeah. Jose, yeah. what you do is just stick stick with Windows until you can afford to buy a, a, a computer just to run. No, I'm kidding. I, I don't know though. I mean, like killing about these issues, it feels like we're back in the '90s all of a sudden. Uh, and I, I guess, but it does develop good skills. It I guess really the does. other thing I was going to suggest is I wonder if he couldn't just hook up. I mean, I, maybe just to troubleshoot and maybe look at logs and stuff like that. A, a, an external monitor. I mean, I'm sure he's probably uh, thought of that, but. Probably, especially it depends whether or not if he's going like you know S video, HDMI, or VGA. A lot of depending on the age of the laptop, it could be VGA or S video. I mean, it just really depends. But if it's a VGA or HDMI, it'll probably work. If it's S video, shoot yourself in the foot right now. Yeah. All right, we got we yeah. got two uh, two bigger, thicker topics I want to get to. But first, I just I wanted to just talk about SteamOS for a second. Um, because uh, I, you know, we have no idea what's going to happen there, but I like to speculate. And Zek the Penguin wrote in. He says, "Hey guys, long time since I wrote. I was messing around with Steam's whole Steam from a Windows computer thing, which is pretty awesome. And the thought popped into my head: What if the long-term goal here is for Valve to stream games to Steam boxes like OnLive did? It would completely eliminate the Windows-only problem and adds value to Steam to serve it as a service. I know right now it's only a lo- local network deal." But it might be possible for Steam to do this from their own servers in the future. So here's what he's suggesting. 
is that perhaps the LAN steam streaming we see today is the early groundwork for something that Valve would then deliver over the Internet down the road. So you buy a Steam box. You don't have to have a local Windows PC. They go all on live on you, and they stream the game. Let's say let's say this is Valve, right. and if they do it, they're going to do it okay. right. So let's just let's assume it's going to work right. Let's just take that as a right. gra- as a granted. We'll see. All uh, the piping challenges gone. Right, <laughs> that kind of thing. Right. right. Okay. Um, do you think a this is something Valve would consider, Matt? And b would this sort of solve a huge problem for Steam machines? As then you get all of these great native Linux games, and if you want a legacy Windows game from the quote-unquote PC era, or whatever they would call it, will stream it to you from the Valve online service. Do you think that, would you see them doing um, this? Only two ways I see this working, realistically speaking. If, it, if I'm Valve, the only way I would reliably do this, especially with games that might require a little bit more back-and-forth data, would be to team up with Google. And the reason why is because then you know for a fact that you've got a partner who has a vested interest in connectivity that you guys can kind of sync up what's needed to get that data oh, back and yeah. forth. Boy, that sounds you, dirty, though, but yeah, I could totally it sounds see dirty. That. <laughs> it totally sounds dirty. Yeah. Now, if you go with just Joe Blow's ISP Emporium, um, you know, they may not care. They may be like, oh, yeah, you want us to help you know, saturate our network? Yeah, but you can go bite yeah. us. We're not going right. to help you. Yeah. So that would be the downside. Otherwise, lower-end games, maybe, uh, you know, I don't know. Right. Vault, uh, Vault, you say NVIDIA tried yeah. it and it didn't work. Yes, they. if I remember correctly, they tried making a... Um, it, it was displayed during E3 or something, I believe. It was sort of like a cloud hosting for your games where it was speculated like, oh, you can put it at your ISP and the ISP can actually deliver it to you. Hmm. Yeah, and it it you they store it for you, you and then stream it to you. Yeah, sort of like that. Like the these people can or companies can be. Oh, we want to buy a rack or something of these dedicated processing, and then rent it off to our customers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't see Steam ever wanting to get into that kind of infrastructure investment to want to render all these games and stream it to people and all the. ISP agreements. It just sounds like so much bureaucratic telco BS. I just don't see anybody at Valve having the will to suffer through it. And it will never, ever be comparable to local gameplay. And I think Valve, at the end of the day, cares a lot about the local gameplay play experience, and they know that people are willing to pay to have slightly more powerful systems if they want to play those kinds of games. I think it is. I think the Steam streaming is what it is. What it is. It is a transitionary tool to migrate from your old crappy piece of junk Windows PC that has all kinds of problems into this nice new uh, Steam box. Now, I think it was and a little bit envisioned during the time when everybody thought tablets were going to rule the world and PCs were going away, but I think it still has some potential. Hmm. Well, that's yeah. tough. Yeah, that's a tough one. All right, so we, we do have some big topics, including uh, Microsoft announcing that they just full-on love Linux now. Satya Nadella, I'm not. Dude, I don't know. Did you see? Did you see the picture? Did you? No. He no, was up on stage doing a live stream, and Satya Nadella behind him on the projector has Microsoft Hearts Linux. I got. A, I got a picture for those of you watching the video version right there. Is there a knife sticking out of Tux's back? Or oh, I see it now. Okay. Yeah, isn't that something? Oh, Microsoft oh, Hearts Linux. So we're going to talk about what that means. Uh, that's great. Uh, uh, and uh, where Microsoft is going with that, and then also. You might have heard about the initiative to fork the Debian project, or at least some veterans are considering it, and then forking Fedora came up. But that conversation ended fairly quickly. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But first, I want to tell you about 
DigitalOcean. Head over to DigitalOcean.com right now and get yourself ready for this one. You're never going to guess it. Unplugged October. That's the promo code, right? All lowercase, one word. Unplugged October will get you a $10 credit over DigitalOcean. You're like, what is DigitalOcean, Chris? Because I live under a rock and do not know about super awesome services that are blowing up like crazy. Well, I'm glad you asked me. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Some of you can get started in about 55 seconds. Some of you can get started in about 32 seconds, 22 seconds. It's nuts. Send them to me. Take a screenshot. Email them, chris at com. You guys is crazy. And by guys, I mean guys and gals. Just a little disclaimer. Here's what you get for $5 per month. 512 megabytes of RAM. A 20 gigabyte SSD. Yeah, they're all SSD. One CPU and a terabyte of blazing fast transfer. Why? Because DigitalOcean has tier one bandwidth providers at their data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. I... Blows my mind, you guys. I log in there. And I like updating my system just because I like seeing download numbers that high. I'm not even joking at all. It's that awesome. And one of the great things about DigitalOcean is that dashboard. It is super simple and intuitive, but yet extremely powerful. You can take snapshots, backup migrations, move, transfer droplets to different users, DNS management, one-click installs of the entire LampStack, GitLab, WordPress, all sitting on top of KVM. It's really slick. And I think the best part is that API. And you can use that API to take advantage of some of those services on a much larger scale. And DigitalOcean right now, for a little while, I don't know how long, because it's crazy to me. I think this is nuts. But I understand why they're doing it, because they're crazy about getting the quality of their tutorials up. Crazy DigitalOcean, I tell you what. They're willing to pay you up to $200 if you write a tutorial for them. And they have editors that will work with you, so you don't have to be like a wordsmith. You don't got to be a wordsmith. They'll work with you. If you've got a great tutorial, they'll pay you for it. And that's DigitalOcean's commitment to getting the tutorials up on their site the highest quality possible because their dashboard is all about getting you going. The way you even fund your account is about making it as simple and out of the way as possible. The API, all of it, everything is about making sure you can get your infrastructure up and running as fast as possible to get onto your work. And that's why they're trying to have the best documentation as well. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code UNPLUGGEDOCTOBER to get a $10 credit. And you can try out that $5 rig. For two months for absolutely free. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Unplugged. Okay, Matt, put your crazy hat on because you're not even going to believe some of the ridiculous shenanigans going down right now. So uh, our buddy, uh, friend of the show, Sache Nadella, was up on stage today talking about how great Azure is and how wonderful Linux is with Azure. He oh, says, yeah. did you guys know it's like peanut butter and chocolate? That's not actually what he said. But Isn't he did, it more like peanut butter and motor oil? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> he did talk a little bit about uh, how great Azure has become. And I, I just wanted to, to touch on this because this is the new Microsoft. This is the Microsoft that is now competing with Linux, not on the desktop, but in these service-like infrastructure type ways. So uh, Microsoft has rolled out 300 major new features and services in the last 12 months to Azure, bullet point number one. There are 10,000 new Azure customers per week. There are currently 350 million active Active Directory users on Azure. So they have Active Directory up on Azure. Over 2 million developers are using Visual Studio Online to connect directly to Azure. And uh, customers are using, oh, once we're only using basic Azure services, 60% are now using higher level services. And number one, Core OS is now supported 
in Azure. The container-optimized Linux distribution with a minimal memory footprint is available starting today in the Azure marketplace. So they are all about Linux, guys. Uh, is this uh, okay? So I'm an old fart when it comes to Microsoft. I've grew up in Microsoft. I grew up in Microsoft's backyard. Uh, I've been in and out of there, checking, ch- you know, chatting with friends for years. I've watched them for a long time. And the one thing that I'll tell you that really stood out is they are some competitive SOBs over there at Microsoft. And can I really trust that they're all in with Linux? Or is this embrace and extend again? Matt, I go to you first. Uh, personally, I feel like that, yes, in the sense that they've, they've tried like butting heads with uh, you know, the Linux direction, the Linux ideas, the Linux, all the, all, anything to do with Linux. They tried that. It didn't work. That's kind of the bomber error. I think in this case, they realize that if they're going to remain relevant – um, 10, 15 years forward, they're going to have to start playing nicer with their neighbors. So and I you think, think that's it's really, legit? I think it's legit for selfish reasons. They're not there to be your buddy. They would soon as, you know, they're not, they're not there for nice reasons. They're there out of preservation. I th- and you keep in mind, I know people that are Microsoft admins that work for Microsoft events that put on, you know, that, like some behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah, it is. But because they're being, they're, and they're not thrilled about having to learn this stuff. They're literally in lockdown mode learning stuff in a hurry because uh, suddenly this has become a thing. Um, Long term, uh, you know, they're, they're hoping, to, they're basically just trying to remain relevant. I think that's the big, the big piece of it. Uh, will it matter 10, 15 years down the road? I don't know. Yeah. But they, I think it's legitimate, but it's not legitimate for the reasons why people might think, oh, they've changed their mind and they're being nice now. That's not it at all. It's survival, honestly. It's, it's being able to remain competitive with things that are frankly so it's, free. It's a, it's a pragmatic, <laughs> you know? it's a pragmatic yeah. Microsoft. Uh, it, pretty much. Pretty Wimpy, much. why is it that uh, you and I kind of feel a little dirty when we talk about this? What is it? Why, are we, why do we have this bias? What's going on? Well, it just it feels uncomfortable. This is not, this is not Microsoft's area. <laughs> right. I, I used to work as an enterprise architect for Windows platforms, and before that I was a Unix admin, and since then I've worked exclusively in Linux. And these are not the same market spaces. And I, I would be really interested to know how sort of the Windows admins feel about this statement from Microsoft that they love Linux. They oh, must be shit in their pants right now. That is a good point. I didn't mm-hmm. think about it from that perspective. Uh, yeah. Let's ask uh, Valerie since she has uh, some perspective on the matter. Valerie, do you, uh, do you buy the new Microsoft or are you skeptical? Well, she's not in the room right now. Oh, so. What do you think, Eric? You take it. <laughs> well, here's where I am at with the whole Microsoft thing. Um, Adela really wants to go towards more of the cloud infrastructure. Sure. And he knows that Linux does better in cloud than Windows Server does. So I, I just think he's come to the realization and the company is coming to the point where they can't sur- survive with just Windows Server alone. They have to start branching out and using something like Linux. And yeah, yeah I, think he's, I think he's trying to take the company in the right direction in terms of the service market. Yeah, I think it's interesting to watch, and uh, it's more options for more deployments of Linux. That seems like a good thing. Okay, uh, anybody else want to comment on that before we go to the next kind of uh, crazy thing that I was like, what, this week? That just made me kind of <laughs> flat-footed. All right, uh, next one. Man. Did you guys see the uh, roll-up-your-sleeves, we-may-need-to-fork-Debian site? Did you guys catch this? Oh, boy. Uh, and I'll just read uh, the first uh, paragraph here. Uh We are veteran, which is bolded, by the way, veteran Unix admins, and we are concerned about what's happening to GNU slash Linux Debian Edition 
uh, and they're uh, considering forking the project. I, I want to stop right here. Okay. I, I think that's a great idea. I think fork it. Like, instead of instead of delaying the progress of the distribution or the direction, yeah, fork it and go your own way. That seems like the, that actually seems like the right approach to take, especially if you're never going to be satisfied with the system D uh, uh, version of Debian. You know, that that seems like a pretty reasonable response, and I uh, I, I hope they do. I think the competition would be good. The thing that I can't get past, and it seems like a lot of other people have uh, picked up on it, is is the language used there. Veteran Unix admins and, and bolded that. What that does is sort of projects old farts. And I'm not trying to be derogatory. I'm just saying, like, from a messaging standpoint, people are saying that makes you sound like a bunch of old farts. And it pe- then people sort of write it off. Ah, what do they care? A bunch of stick in the muds. And it's sort of like it immediately makes people not take it very seriously. Well, you know, looking at it from my perspective, I think it's a combination of quote unquote old farts as well as people that are of the mind that if it isn't broke, why fix it? At least from their perspective. And so you might have an inner mixture of individuals in that space. Wimpy, do you think they're just uh, crazy? Um, well, they're exercising their right to free speech and all power to their elbow and everything. And if they want to have a go at forking Debbie and then. I think everyone should just stand back and let them get on with it and let themselves burn, <laughs> burn see themselves how it goes. out trying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well just, said. Just, just, let's just try, take those two words together. Fork, Debian. Okay? Forking yeah. is hard. I have first-hand experience of forking really small projects in the uh, comparison with Debian. So they want to fork Debian. Just... <laughs> Think about all of the infrastructure that's involved there and all of the platforms and everything. It's just crazy nonsense. And uh, Ian Jackson's obviously uh, got an opinion about this and he posted his uh, thing to the mailing list to suggest that this was, you know, evaluated one last time, very expressly stating he didn't want to turn this into a system D versus whatever in its system debate. And then the internet explodes with System D Inferno again. It, this is so disappointing. I it's know. just it's just laughable. And and if they want to fork Debian, <laughs> yeah, go on, do that, do that thing. I'm um, I'm all for it. I'm going to watch that gleefully from afar. Yeah, I, I would be pretty skeptical myself. And and Vault, uh, you think uh, no, no, don't fork, don't don't do that. We need more resources as it is, not less people working on the same stuff. Well, that's obviously the, 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 the <laughs> my actual practical point is, no, don't fork it. Find a way to accommodate, yeah, you know, multiple you know, init uh, systems uh, in Debian. I'm starting but, to change you know, If you want to fork yeah. Debian, yeah, go on. It, to go me, on, do it. If, the, if they're never going to be interested in being involved with the project in that state, then they should just fork it. You're not really losing resources because if they weren't going to cooperate anyways, you're not losing them. They already, they're already lost. So let them go off and do their own thing. Well, no, the thing is, is that, no, well, yeah, okay, if they want to fork Debian, fork Debian. But there's, there's system BSD, there's use less D, yeah. there are shims around system D. If they were really serious about coming up with an alternative, they would be looking at those projects mm-hmm. in terms of developing them and supporting them within the Debian community rather than saying we're going to fork Debian, which is frankly insane. Well, yeah, you're talking the biggest distribution there is, the mother of most of our distributions. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah you, that's a huge undertaking if you're even going to well, would you do a Would you do a complete fork or would it be more like sort of... 
a clone of straight up Debian where you're just constantly swapping out the system D parts for something else. Well, one thing that comes to mind that I want to point out here is that now, last time I checked, most computers with, with blogging platforms attached don't have breathalyzers ready. <laughs> so it's v- entirely possible they were fit shaped and they got on and, yeah, me, bite me, wow. Maybe. Nope. <laughs> no, I'll tell you, I'll tell you who's a little S faced. How about this one? How about this one? Forkfedora.org. Shall we fork oh, Fedora? That's brilliant. And then, yeah, and then here's I the like next line. One. Not really. It's doing great. Maybe we're not veteran enough. <laughs> that's great. That's really That great. is fantastic. That's the best response. They, they sound like they're really housed. You know what? I, yeah. Yeah, they're really housed, right? right. I would like to buy a beer I, for I've already verified guys. this was a factual thing. I, anyway, yeah, sorry. no, Matt did prove that, that, that yeah, did. he did actually later up on G+. Plus, I think like was, 10 people on the whole internet, but still, we exist. Yeah, that actually <laughs> getting housed is a term. I don't. It's like got a ridiculous origin, though, or something. I don't remember. It, yeah, it's, it's abbreviated from, you know, the other word. But, <laughs> Uh, so, so okay, but this fork business, like, shall we fork Fedora? Time to fork Debian. I've never. Well, actually, we have. The only time I think we've ever seen the Linux community this riled up and just unable to just move forward for a long time was like the Microsoft Novell deal where you had boycott oh, Novell prop up and you had all this stuff and there was such decisive lines and it went on for like two years but really not i mean you know it was it was not as bad for two years but it really went on for a while and this is like we haven't had a good old classic drama like this since then it's like the good old days again <laughs> hoo ah right oh i remember the old novel thing and i'm th- i'm sitting there going thinking that's great i'm going to go watch tv now cuz i'm just like this is going to be a week long thing and people are going to blow it over yeah that still cracks me up that just uh, all right wimpy go ahead ask the question that's on everybody's mind <laughs> Well, uh, I'm putting myself out there again as the as the bloke that says, you know, System D is really quite good. But I I often wonder reading what some of the people say about System D and also listening to other podcasts and what they have to say about System D. And I'm left with the impression of you've never actually used it. Not only have you never actually used it, you've never actually sat down and written a unit file. You're not a package maintainer. You haven't had to deal with init scripts, and you haven't seen the benefits of migrating a package from an init script to system D and, and the many other benefits of system D. Now, I can appreciate that people are very, very firm in their opinion that they like the way things are, and, and there's a place for that. But I think a lot of the speculation and uh, commentary about System D is being had by people who simply do not know what they're talking about. Now, I'm not suggesting necessarily that Fork Debian falls into this camp. They would claim to be seasoned uh, Linux administrators and Debian uh, veterans quite. Um, so maybe they do know what they're talking about and they have legitimate reasons as to why they feel System D is not going to, to suit them. But there are some podcasts where I've heard them debating the uh, the various init systems and talking about the pros and cons and then admitting partway through their, you know, slagging off of System D they've never used it. And yeah. you just think, well, so, what, how, you know, how are you qualified to have an opinion? My uh, my So my stance on the System D uh, discussion, I think if you look over the history of this show, has an arc where I'm pretty neutral, don't give a crap, 
and then I become pretty pro system D, and then I get to a point where I was a little belligerent to people who didn't who didn't seem to think going forward with system D was a good idea because the reason I I don't know if belligerent is the right word, but I'll just label it that. Uh, the reason why I felt that way is because as a, as a sysadmin of like 14, 15 years, there are literally things that I see in System D that I think, if I had that when I was managing servers, I would have hated my job so much less. Like, it's not just small stuff that I see in System D. Uh, some of the things that System D brings as a whole, I see as fundamentally necessary for Linux to remain competitive at scale. Like without those things and with and without those things, FreeBSD could easily eat our lunch, really, because essentially yeah. we're, we're, we're just as capable. And but SystemD offers so many things. And the problem is you really don't know how important they are until you've deployed Linux at scale or you have a, a you know, a very network demanding thing or you have something that has to be as absolutely minimal as possible and support socket activation or you need something that's integrated with namespaces. All these things that are edge cases but together matter so much and, may, and are so important at keeping Linux competitive not just on the server but also in mobile that when you, when you, come, when you argue against SystemD, what you have to realize is you have to really come with something that's extremely compelling because what you are arguing for is essentially removing what I, in, in my personal opinion, and, I, and I'm not saying it's right, but in my personal opinion, are fundamentally critical features to keep Linux competitive. So if you're going to say yeah. no SystemD, you've got to have an answer for those problems. And, and, yeah, I don't think you and I can have a debate about this because I think we're clearly uh, on the same side of the fence and we've got, we've got our personal opinions. It sounds like for largely similar reasons. Um, so really what we need is somebody to step up and tell us why we're wrong. And I, I, I think part of it is some of the more vocal people debating this are not the same people who are as impacted by it. Like I think there's a group of people that care a lot, but they're just not as vocal about debating it. Um, I think I'm trying to because I get emails that seem really well reasoned, uh, but I even then I've still not been convinced. The biggest things that convince me that it might be a problem are always the what if scenarios, and then I think yeah, if that happens, we could have a problem. But that's not a today problem. That's a what if problem. Quite, so. quite. Anyways, so how do we get talking about? Oh yeah, the forks. Yeah, so there you go. The system D conversation <laughs> once again has been stirred back up by these project forks. And, you know, what's interesting is you check the Linux forums, like uh, r slash Linux and, and just general discussion forums, and people are constantly still asking about it. It is genuinely a topic that even though it seems like we've talked about it ad nauseum, people still seem to care about. Uh, I guess that's sort of the uh, fun of being a Linux user is you get to care about such nitty-gritty things like your display compositor and system D and all that stuff. So I, that's, I guess that's why, we're, that's why we do it. Uh, all right. Well, so... Um, you probably already know this, but uh, Linux Action Show won't be live on Sunday. It's going to be on Monday. And uh, I think, I don't know if Ange told you, Matt, but I think we're going to try to start at 2 o'clock, so you probably want to get to the studio around one thirty. One thirty. Okay, I'll have to uh, that And we're going to try to fit in a foe, too, and, uh, sh- and then we'll be able to hi- show all the highlights from Ohio Linux Fest. So if you're going to be in Ohio this weekend, come say hi to uh, some of us there. We'll, some of the crew will be there, and we'll be going out and uh, getting our party on in the uh, evening, so uh, join us for that as well. And then uh, join us for Linux Action Show Monday afternoons. We'll have the time in your local time zone over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And Eric is reminding me, dutifully so, that uh, you can also say hi to him at Seagull. Is there anything you want to plug about that, Eric? I don't know. Valerie will be there as well, so oh, really? that's cool. a good thing. 
Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Say hi to Eric and Valerie at uh, C- it's Seagull, right? That's how you say it. Yes. S e a g l, and uh, you can find it at uh, just Google for Seagull, but I think it's like Seagull.org. And it's a it's a Seattle Linux uh, users group meetup, right? Or who's put on? It's a Seattle GNU Linux conference. Thank is you. what they're calling. Thank you. I don't know why I can't remember that. <laughs> but anyways, so we got a lot going. There's a ton of stuff going on. So come out and say hi to us, Valerie. Thanks a bunch for uh, coming on and. Uh, I can't wait for our next meetup, maybe in December or something like that. Too bad we didn't get to talk about Kubuntu. Yeah. Well, is is there anything you want to mention before we wrap up? We have like a a couple of minutes. (laughs) Um, You know what? You know why? It's because we we uh, we talked about it quite a bit on Sunday show. So we just kind of got our we just kind of got our Kubuntu on. But if there's anything you wanted to mention, or specifically Um, with the fourteen dot ten release, have that. We we have the we have the release. Um, It's going to be pretty stable. now it's coming after a long-term support, but so we usually are wild and crazy. This time, we are doing an alternate ISO for the Plasma Five stuff. Oh, awesome! Um, people should not accept, expect that to be completely stable, but we sure would love to have some testing. And okay. we don't know if it will be ready uh, six months from now okay. for a release, and without testing, it won't be so. It's actually yeah. the, the that Plasma Five ISO is what I used for Sunday's review when I did that. So that's yeah. exactly so what it's was. reasonably stable. Some people have had some problems uh, getting things to work, getting it set up. But once they get it set up, it's pretty cool. Awesome! So, oh my we gosh! Need bug re- we need it and bug reports. So, and if people wanted to connect with you online, what's the best place for them to find you? Uh, in IRC or Valerie at KDE dot org. O-R-I-E dot K, or at K-D-E dot org. Awesome. All right. Well, I look forward to our next meetup, and I'll remember to schedule time for beers next time. <laughs> I will not make that mistake again, Valerie. I will not make that mistake again. So I apologize right. for that. All right. Well, that'll wrap us up for today's episode of Linux Unplugged. We'll be uh, we our regular Linux Unplugged time next week. I don't think the Ohio Linux Fest will affect our uh, our regular uh, scheduled Linux Unplugged. So it should be on Tuesday, which is at 2 p.m. Pacific. You go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time. Well, Matt, so it's going to be a little extra longer. You're going to have to go an extra day before you get to see the hair again. Are you going to be all right? <laughs> I think I can get by. I think yeah. I can get by. You know what you need to do <laughs> is just like marathon a TV show. you got Saturday and Sunday to just really pound through something and then just show up Monday ready to do a show. There you go. There you go. Okay. All right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Linux Unplugged. Don't forget, we really want your feedback. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click the contact link, choose Unplugged from the dropdown. Linuxactionshow.reddit.com is another great place to go. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning this week's episode. See you right back here next Tuesday. Oh, 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 yeah. There we go. All right. So, uh, Valerie, we'll record the uh, post show, too, if there's any other Kubuntu uh, bits you want to get in there. 
Well, everybody go to jbtitles.com right now and vote. jbtitles.com, everybody vote. Jack, you're breathing into the mic again. Jack, your mic's Jack. open. Jack. Jack. I'm off my socks. Eric, Eric, make sure you give Valerie a super high five for us. Super high five? Super high. Yeah, I heard it. That's great. Go. All right. Yeah. Uh, for fork's sake, that's pretty good, creepy. That's pretty good. <laughs> jbtitles.com. Let's vote, everybody. jbtitles. 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 Uh, all right, so uh, yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, once again, we got into another System D conversation where Wimpy and I uh, painfully agreed with each other. <laughs> I know it's a bit awkward, isn't it? We need we need to encourage some people yeah. to 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 have a rational um, argument for not System D because I think both you and I have different, well, similar but different reasons as to why it suits what we're doing, and we there really need somebody just to come along. For the show. Yeah, well, it's quite there short are this week, isn't it? Oh, I know yeah. there are alternatives, um, and I'm familiar with some of them, and I've obviously used a lot of them, but um, I need somebody to remind me why it is they're better, because I've forgotten. <laughs> um, Do we really one think... The, I, oh, one second, I want to respond to Imaco. No, 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 the Fork Fedora thing was a joke. It's not... It's just a joke. No, we're not... Yeah. Yeah, I still want to buy them. All right, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. I think it was you. I was just going to say one of the distros oh, I tried recently was um, Phoenix. Uh, it's a live CD distro that uses Runit. That's right. And um, it's very functional. Microsoft Hearts Linux, Fork U Debian, Fork it all. <laughs> Linux Grandma Bakes KDE. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. I like that too. Yeah. So I've I've used Runit in the past for some for some um, for demonizing some processes because it has some features that traditional Linux didn't have. So yeah, that's very good. Valerie, you should uh, twist Eric's arm to leave the mumble info behind so you could join us in the future whenever you feel like it. Yeah, I actually did paste that into the uh, Kubuntu off-topic chat room, did I not? Oh, good, good. Yeah. yeah. So uh, whenever there's anything Kubuntu related that you want to get the word out about. Or or KDE or anything, you can uh, you could always just pop in the mumble room and uh, we'll give you the floor for a couple of minutes. Uh, okay, so let's go to JB Titles and so are we liking for Fork's sake? We like that, uh, not KDE <laughs> That's or funny. or uh, not uh, Fork Debian. I like that Wimpy is like think about that Fork <laughs> Debian. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I was like wow, really? That'd be oh. quite the task. Uh, so uh, tonight, Angie and I are going to mail out, hopefully, a whole bunch of boxes of swag and stuff we're going to bring to Ohio Linux Fest. So, that's, you, so, huh? so that should be cool. Colonel Linux, are you in here? I am. Oh, you haven't said anything for so long. I thought maybe you left. I missed you. You no, died. No. no, I'm still here. Best in peace. So, uh, yeah. So I'm looking <laughs> forward to that. I didn't want to come off too strong in the recording, but I'm like 100% sure that no mode set will fix that guy's laptop. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I see. I thought. I see, the reason why. I, for some reason, I thought no meds, no mode set. Uh, uh, just sort of put X into like crappy mode. Mm, you know what's funny? I actually couldn't tell you what it does. I can just no, tell no, you that no. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't do. Um, it, it stops kernel mode switching happening. Yeah. yeah, but what does that do? But the, but, but uh, well, the, how does that? It doesn't do the. It doesn't do the resolution detection and auto resolution but adjustment. Then, it just goes with the the basic um, BIOS. Uh, resolution. But, so, but why is it um, then not being resolved when X starts? If it's that, if it's the console resolution, then how come when X is starting, it's not fixing the problem? Because wouldn't that? <coughs> Whoa! 
Got nine. Whoa. That was a Colonel. That was a Opus spike. I wasn't asking. So that was the only thing I wasn't sure about. Is it? It seemed like to me that if 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 no mode set would fix it, then it then it then it shouldn't be happening in X. The only thing I thought the only thing, but I don't know. I don't use no. I don't really ever have to. I well, seriously I, I have bought System seventy six laptops for so long now that I haven't had to fight with some of them. I tell you what. Here's yeah. here's how sure I am. Here's how sure I am. You oh, I believe put you. A filter, I believe pull, put a filter on that guy's name. If he sends you another email saying no mode set fixes it, you pick out a, a beer you want, and I'll send you a twelve pack. <laughs> Uh, I'm wrong, because I'm not wrong. No, I, I'm looking right now. There's other people t- saying about talking about no mode set on askubuntu.com too. Yeah. Well, here's the here's the other thing. Like for instance, for my machine, it will not run a kernel older than 3.12 efficiently. 3.11, I have to use no mode set. Otherwise, it doesn't render graphics at all. Several people, like Rekind Chat, are saying it could be a brightness issue too. So we'll see. All right. Yeah. So for fork's sake is uh, currently at the top here, so we can just go with that, I suppose. All right. Noah, Noah, can I ask you a question about your um, Ubuntu Unity review? Yeah. You you mentioned about crypt setup. Can you yeah. just talk me through what you saw exactly? Because I've, I've got some background in this, and I just want to hear what you saw precisely. What I saw... Well, okay. So... Uh, Excuse me if this is a little too dumbed down. I, I apologize, but so I opened my laptop, I clicked on my encrypted drive, and it said unable to decrypt kernel Linux or well slash media slash kernel Linux. Uh, no crypt setup found, and then I had to get onto Wi-Fi, sudo apt-get install crypt setup, and then I was able to then decrypt my hard drive. So, so this wasn't uh, at boot time when Plymouth no. should give you the password prompt that, to put your passphrase in. Correct. However, the fact that that option exists, that I can encrypt my hard drive at boot time, means that the package, which was I found out was all of like four megabytes, is clearly included in the install media. So why not just install that? What, what possible reason would I not want the ability to decrypt my uh, decrypt encrypted drives like what advantage does that serve that, yeah, I guess no, I'm getting... it, Quiet, in talking I... to Popey uh, it sounds to me like that's something he'd paint a few people to fix like right ha, away ha. if Popey was here uh, as if so I've, I've been <laughs> trying, trying <laughs> to get I have been chasing <laughs> people around at Canonical for two months about this issue now and I've been pestering Popey until he's probably bored of hearing from me because the only thing i mentioned now is by the way you can't decrypt full disk encryption with the new version of plymouth and it's so, one of the things that i attempted to fix in the current release candidate of ubuntu mate oh. and I, I have effectively fixed it uh, and it's actually a plymouth bug um and i think canonical have just released a fix for it this evening um, so crypt setup does get installed. The issue is, is that Plymouth doesn't pass the passphrase through properly, or wasn't passing it through properly. Well, in this, the the absolutely ridiculous thing is, I, I understand. Like, so OpenSSH server doesn't doesn't come with default, but that I get right because there's a security implication. I cannot think of a of one single reason of how having that package there, other than the fact that it occupies four megabytes of disk space, which. Even even in today's world of, of solid state drives that are ridiculously small, still is is negligible. So it ju- it just infuriated me. I had four hours I couldn't get to any of my files, and I'm like, really? This is. And here's yeah, the other thing too: yeah, 1204, yeah. 1210, 1304, and 1310 all had crypt setup installed by default. I guess I yeah, didn't check if yeah. 1404 does, but really, like, what the hell, guys? Yeah, crypt setup is installed by default. That's not the issue. It's the okay. fact that Plymouth doesn't yeah. invoke it correctly to decrypt your drive. 
when okay. you've chosen to do full disk encryption. And like I say, there's been three of us in the Ubuntu Mate team aware of this for months, and we've been adding logs and messages to uh, I don't know, about eight or nine bugs in Launchpad about this for months now, and it's just got fixed today. Well, at the same time, Plymouth has quite a bit of breakage. I mean, even in Arch, like 090, the version that's on the AUR, it's, it's broken. broken in, it's broken in Fedora. It's broken upstream. It's oh, frankly yeah. not fit for purpose. Oh. It's horrible. <laughs> so I've, I've backported 0.8.8 and given it a version of 0.9.0 plus really 0.8.8. <laughs> <laughs> and wow. fixes There's all the a things. Management, yeah, uh, inception yeah, there. yeah. Jeez. Um, I, uh, I, I, I'm gonna have to switch to Mate, uh, the Ubuntu Mate edition. Uh, mate, Mate, Mate. Oh, dang it, dang it. Uh, all right, whatever you so, like, matey. Whatever you like. We should wrap, but I wanted to leave with this. If anybody in the Ohio area who's listening to this knows of some great places right around where the uh, Linux Fest is going to be at, that we could go to, some holes in the wall or something like that. Uh, tweet him at me at Chris Elias. You got it. You're my intelligence network. I need I need people on the ground. Is what I'm saying. I need like people there. Need boots on the ground. I need boots on the ground. <laughs> taking care of the situation. They're they're uh, they're not uh, combat boots though. They're just there as advisors to advise me about Ohio, Columbus, Ohio. Boobs on the ground. You need boobs on the ground. I also would also any boobs on the ground would be great too. Uh, <laughs> If it's if it's not uh, if it's not right around the hotel, that also should be okay because we have vehicular transportation. Right, right. right. Yes. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, well, all right. So, so, uh, so Chris, yeah. just before you dash, do you want do you want one little bit of inside information? Always, but I'm recording okay, still. Should so, I st- wait? Do I have to stop recording? Or can I, is it okay? No, no. You can record. Okay, you don't right. have to put it out necessarily. And it's I'm not going to give away any names because I don't know them all yet. All right. But um, you remember the uh, whole uh, Gummersbach. Um, deployment on OpenSUSE and Mate and that good stuff. Yeah. Small town of 50,000 people. And you asked me what I knew about that, and I said I don't know very much. Well, I know about the next one. The next one is going to be in Germany. The next one is going to be a remote terminal services deployment based on X2Go. And I happen to know that the desktop operating system they're going to be using is Ubuntu Mate. Boom! You know, I should oh. uh, I should do an X to go segment while I still have uh, Mate installed. I mean, not that I would uninstall yeah. it, but I'm probably well, going to go back to my You can use three. it on a number of distros, but I'm yeah. I'm get but, this. I've I, I've got an expenses paid trip to Germany at the end of the month, and I am getting wow. to stay in. Get this, the Linux hotel. Oh, <laughs> you got to take a picture. So wow. Wow. Send, take a picture. Send it. I'll make it's it the runs thing. Linux. <laughs> It'll be the runs Linux.